This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. Matthew chapter 5 in the message version, I'm going to read uh, two verses starting in verse 14. We read from the screen today. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. I like that. That should be on our next Nova hoodies. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. That excites me. I love that passage. I'm going to jump down to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses. If you're there, you'll see it in your Bible. If not, you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. My Bible calls this the parable of the lost son. Other versions call it the prodigal son. It's the story of a father who had two sons, and they made very different choices. It's amazing to me, um, as the longer I'm, I do life with people and the older I get, that you can have the same last name, the same house, the same upbringing, but kids will respond differently. Isn't it interesting? Same supper, same vacations, same discipline, same joys, same dysfunction or health, and people respond differently. And here we have two brothers responding differently. Verse 11. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father... I want, to share, I want a share of your estate. I want my inheritance now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, after cashing the check and make sure it didn't bounce, I just kind of add that in there, into trading into Bitcoin. A few days later, the son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, which sounds really nice today in the snow, doesn't it? Palm trees or something. A distant land where he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. I don't have time to unpack this today, but if you know anything about Jewish culture, the worst thing you could be is surrounded with unkosher things, unclean things, which were pigs and swine. So for this Jewish boy in this story, and the audience hearing Jesus say this, this is the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. You have hit rock bottom if you're hanging out in a pig pen with pigs. Not only are you dirty, but you're actually religiously, culturally unclean. This is the worst of the worst. This would be the worst drug, uh, drug you can think of. This would be the worst brothel you can imagine. This is, if you could picture the worst place someone could be with shame and regret, this is where this young man finds himself. Verse 16. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just take me on as an employee, as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled him with love and compassion, ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to the servants, notice he ignored the son. Quick, 
Bring out the finest robe in the house. Put it, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that, that we have been fattening and we must celebrate with a feast. We're going to have a barbecue. For the son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now he is mm, found. So the party began. I wasn't going to read this verse, but it's so good I can't stop. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. He returned home and heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what is going on? They said, your brother is back. He's back. He's back. He he was told, your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are having a party. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, yet the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead. And he has come back to life. He was lost. And now he is found. Today, for the next few minutes... If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes because I believe maybe on a Wednesday or a Thursday, there's something you heard on a Sunday that's going to help you get through the week. It might not be everything. It might be one thing. But if you're taking notes tonight, write down this title, this, this thought today, leave the light on. Write that down somewhere. Leave the light on. Leave the light on. Is it me or when I was a kid, summers seemed to last forever? Am I the only one? I think we have a slide here. We can put that screen up, Jeremy, on that title. Summer seemed like they lasted for years. Am I the only one? It just seemed like Saturdays lasted forever. Now it's, it's Monday before you know it. And I think it was just Friday and we're back into it. But I remember my summers. I spent my summers in a foreign country when they spoke a different language. It's called Newfoundland. And uh, uh, overseas. I spent all my summers overseas in Newfoundland. And my mother is a Newfoundlander. My wife is a Newfoundlander. My brother-in-law, he's a Newfoundlander too. And, but my mother is from a place outside called outside, uh, port of bass a place called Burnt Islands, and you probably never heard of it. If you were there, it's probably because you took a wrong turn, but it's at the end of the world, take a left, and you'll find Burnt Islands, and there's not a lot of people there, but I remember getting there took forever, and that was part of the journey. My mother, and she'd make lunches, and we'd have coloring. I had a coloring book. I never forget, I had a, a, a Bow and Luke Duke, Dukes of Hazard coloring book, and we would get a drive from my dad. My dad would work, and then he'd come down for the last week, but we'd go down for three weeks, He'd drive us to the train station in Halifax, down where the Weston is, and we, we'd get on a train and go down to Sydney, Cape Breton. We'd get there after being on the train and coloring and watching all the country go by, and we'd get there after hours, and then we'd take a taxi from the train station to the boat, um, to the Joey Smallwood or the Caribou, or whatever the boat was, going to the island, and then we'd overnight on this boat, or we would go in the early hours, and this five to six hour journey, and if it was overnight, we'd sleep on the floor, and we'd try to get comfortable, and we just, all of a sudden, we're crashing through waves and all night, and then we'd get in port bass and we'd quickly um, take antidepressants, because if you hit port bass and, and then we'd go, but we're, but we're having a blast. This is summer vacation. This was our life, and then my Uncle Art, and he had no teeth and no sense of uh, speed, uh, and Uncle Art was known for driving at speeds meant for rocket fuel and violent diarrhea. That's how Art drove. True story. Not a tooth in his head. And Art would be talking and driving, didn't matter if it was foggy or sunny, and Art would just drive like a madman. And we'd drive 45 minutes to Burnt Islands, and you come over the hill to Burnt Islands, 
And it's an island, you can't make this stuff up, it's an island in a harbor in Newfoundland. Like, Newfoundland's an island. But then there was this island that was the shape of this school, size of this school, you could run around it in three minutes. And they built these houses up on this hill, and there might have been 20 or 30 houses, and that's where my mother grew up. She used to have to row to the mainland to get the mail, to get groceries, and they built this causeway, and we'd come over the hill, and then off in the distance, you would see this, this, this island of, of memories, and where I spent my summers, and we'd come over the causeway, and we'd go up this hill, and they'd drop us off, and sometimes it was late at night. We'd been traveling for a day or so, and we'd get there, and at night, we'd go through this rock. So the only thing in Newfoundland that never changes is the rocks. It just doesn't matter. They're always the same, and, and houses change color, and people change, but the rocks never do, and we'd go through this rocky path up this hill with our luggage, and suitcases, and backpacks, and Dukes of Hazard coloring books, and, and as kids, little kids, and there's always be this light on in the window. My mother got to get excited because this is a place of her childhood and so much emotion and memories. And when we come over the mainland, over the crest of the hill, she could spot her house because there was always a light on until we got home. When you leave a light on, what you're saying is, we won't rest until you get here. And the second thing it says is, we're expecting you. Last few years, my travel has increased and many times I grabbed the last flight from Toronto Coming from Dallas or Oklahoma or somewhere, my last flight from Toronto usually lands at 1.30. Air Canada lands at 1.30 in the morning if it's on time. And usually I'm getting in at 2 in the morning. And no matter who picks me up and who brings me from the airport, one of my friends, Joel, or my father, or someone, I'll pull in the driveway, and the outdoor light is always on. Nancy's in bed. The kids are in bed. And what that says, there's no better feeling after traveling all day and been away for a week or two weeks or even just two days. And you come home after a long travel. And when I pull in the driveway, I always know the light is on. And what they're saying is when they tuck the kids in the night, they say, hey, when you wake up in the morning, dad will be home. When you get up in the morning, expect your father to be in bed asleep. Go jump on him. When, when you get up, know that someone is coming tonight. We've been missing him for three days or three weeks. He's coming when you leave the light on, it says, we won't rest until you get home, and we're expecting you. In Scripture, the Bible talks about leaving the light on. What does it mean to leave the light on? What does it mean as a church, as Christians, as Jesus told us that we are to be light bearers, to be a light on a hill? What does that look like in this community setting to leave the light on in our lives and our faith community. What does that look like? I think it's an important question to ask because I believe if you don't know why you're doing something, eventually the what will frustrate you. Even in our team, and we have the best team in the world, but now being five or six months in, sometimes I remind myself, reminding the team or reminding myself of the why, because if you don't have a why, the what will frustrate you. If you don't believe in the why of your children or the why of your marriage or the why of your faith, the what will become aggravating and frustrating. If you don't believe in the why of your family, mowing the lawn, taking the garbage out, driving your kids left, right, and center, coming to church, setting up, being a part of a worship team, a production team, will frustrate you if we lose track of the why. That's why I'm a big proponent of always writing the target on the wall, reminding us why we're here. Passion and purpose are a big part of the DNA of this church, but I want to remind you today, what does it mean to leave the light on in our faith? Today, I want to encourage you. Matthew 5 says to be a light on a hill. I think it's easy for us as a community to picture that because we live in a city with a hill in the middle of our city. I always picture Citadel Hill. I always picture the city on a hill, and I, that, that's an easy picture for me. But 
The Bible says that we're to be a light on a hill. And many times in the past, I have read that as that's a light of boldness. No one's going to shut me up. No one's going to dim my light. It's not going to be under a basket or under a bushel or whatever you grow up in. I'm not going to hide my light. And the devil can sit on attack. I got joy, joy down in my heart, and the devil doesn't like it. He can sit on attack. If you don't know what that means, it means you didn't grow up in church. But if you grew up in church, we had some crazy songs. I remember we couldn't hide our light under a bushel. We had songs for that and moves and all this stuff. And, but I grew up sometimes thinking that meant, you know what, I'm just going to be bold. And less, less like a light on a hill. And for me, sometimes I translated it more as an interrogation light. I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to show you your flaw. I'm going to show you where you've messed up. And I'm going to expel the darkness from your life. Look at this light. I want you to be blinded by this light. No one can shut me up. No one can stop me. No one can dim me. I am a light on a hill and you get better get out of my way. I don't think that's what the verse is saying today. I think, I love when it says in this verse, uh, it says, keep open house. I believe it's less. It's less about a light of interrogation trying to expose and more of a porch light calling people home. It says, keep open house. I think it's more of that light in burnt islands after a long day of traveling, trying to get to a destination, knowing, hey, they're expecting us, and they won't fully rest until we walk in. And in the middle of the fog, and, and crazy Uncle Art's driving, and the weariness of travel, no matter where we've been, I know as long as I can see that light, there is a place for me when I get there. That light being on means there are beds, enough beds for you. We've got enough groceries for you. The door is not locked. We've been waiting for you when you leave the light on. I want to encourage you as a faith community today, I applaud you for coming through the snow. And sometimes it takes a lot of work to get here. But I want to remind you, the reason why we're building this faith community is to leave the light on for our city. And less about interrogation and more of saying, hey, we have a place for you. This is an open house. We will leave the light on until you come home. I want to encourage you today. Leave the light on in your life. How do we leave the light on? How do we leave the light on as, a, as, a, as families, as singles, as a church? Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is repeating the same truth in three different stories. He talks about a, a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son, and he repeats things. And whenever the Bible repeats things, what he's saying is, take note of this. He really says the same three things, just in three different stories. He talks about something is lost, whether it be a sheep, a coin, or a son. Then he says, we're going to spend all our focus, all our resources trying to find this thing. And then once we find it, the third element is, we're going to party. If you read Luke 15, whether it be the sheep, the son, or the coin, if something is missing and they take inventory, then they, they forget whatever they have to do. They spend all their passion and resources tracking down the sheep, the coin, or the son. And then once it's returned, they party. Like it's 1989. They just party nonstop. I think it's interesting today that Jesus spent three different stories trying to hammer home this truth. Today, what does it mean to leave the light on? Well, in the story of the lost son, I want to bring up some points today to encourage us as a faith community, to remind us, team, dream team in this room, the reason why we do worship practice, the reason why we do sound, the reason why we prepare messages, the reason why we do kids' ministry and we do parking lot, the reason why, listen, the reason why we come to church, the reason why you got your kids out of bed, fed them or not fed them. Come on. Anybody forget to feed their kids today? Am I the only one? Okay. The reason why we go through all this, why today? What are the truths we can take how to leave the light on? You know, what's interesting is the father had opportunity to turn the light off in this story. Some would say the son was too far gone. 
Some would say, you need to shut that light off. Did you hear he's in the pig pen? Did you know that he's actually putting shame on his life and now it's travel? Did you see on Facebook what he was tagging? Did you see what his last post was? Did you see what he's into? The most shameful thing you can think of, that's what your boy's into. Listen, he's too far gone. Don't wait for him anymore. Shut the light off. Go on with your life. Not everyone can make it. Focus on the boy that's doing well. Listen, it's okay. You've, but you've did it for a while, but he's too far gone now. Shut the light off. Some would say it's been too long. Some people said for the first month, I get it, he's grieving. There are stages to grieving. The second month, okay, you know, it's time to move on. Have you thought about having more kids? Have you thought about maybe just focusing on your other son? He seems very bright. Listen, he's going to have kids, and you'll be a grandparent soon. By the third month, they said, listen, it's been too long. Like, he's not coming back. It says that he went to a foreign land, and to be far enough away, it took a long time to get there. It's been too long. You haven't heard from him. You haven't seen him. There's no sign of him coming back. Just shut the light off. Go on with your life. But the father refused to leave where he could see the road. Some would say, you got other things to do. If you read this story, we can interpret the man was a wealthy man, and you only get wealthy not by being lazy, but being active in his, his career and in, in his community. This man had an empire. He had enough wealth that he could divide it and still keep going. He had enough that he had cattle and servants. He had a lot of stuff. He had other things to do. The responsibilities go, hey, yeah, I know he's been gone a while, and I know you love your kid, but listen, you've got a business to run. Listen, life is for the living. You've got to move on. He's, he's too far gone. It's been too long. And you also have other things to do. But the father refused to shut his light off. I want to remind you today as a church, we must fight to leave the light on. You're quiet. I'm preaching better than you're in today. But I want to remind you today, we have to fight to keep the light on. Because people will make every excuse. They'll talk you out of it. Even your own heart will go, you know what? My son and my daughter walked away from the faith in their teens, and now it's, they're in their 30s now. It's, it's been too long. i got other things to do. I want to encourage you. The Bible says be a light on a hill. Keep an open house. Our goal for this church, whether we're five months in or 50 years as a church, will be to fight to keep the light on for people far from God to say, there's a place for me. They're not resting till I get there, and they're expecting me. And when I walk in the door, they'll say, hey, welcome home. we got to fight to keep the light on in this place. To leave the light on, it's going to challenge three things. It's going to challenge three things to leave the light on. Number one, our positions. Our positions. The father was anticipating. If you read scripture, it says he saw the son while he was a long way off, which means he always kept himself where he was positioned close to the road. If you know anything about architecture, and even in this time, the outer gates protected, there was always the, the, the more important, the further away from the gates you were. There was the holy of holies in the church. There was the inner things. And the richer you were, the more into your town, your village, your house you were. Why? Because it showed wealth. The servants were on the outside. Guests were on the outside. There was the outer walls. And for this father to take up a position less than a servant, he fought for his position to stay where he could see the road. It said the son was, well, he was still a long way off. He didn't ring the doorbell. He didn't knock on the door. Well, he was still a long way off. The father spotted him, which tells me the father re refused to change his position to one where he couldn't see the road. I want to challenge you today as a church. We have to fight to keep our position. I'm sure he had more comfortable places to sit than near the road. Listen, comfort and convenience will never keep the light on. I'm going to say that again. Comfort and convenience 
will shut off your light faster than anything else. We know that this church is not convenient or comfortable. We know that. We know it's too loud. We get the connect cards. We get those comments. And we hear you. And our solution is we're going to buy earplugs. I'm not joking. We want to provide earplugs. Because sometimes, and some of you need to sit near the back, and we want to be sensitive of that. But some people go, it's, it's too loud in that church. Some of you, it's too dark. I don't know, but the darker it is, the better looking I get. I'm just letting you know right now. <laughs> but some people are like, is this a theater? What's going on? Is this a movie? Is this a nightclub? This is darker than I'm used to. Some people go, hey, it's too dark. Some people go, you know, I, it's, it's not convenient the way they change locations and times. It's Saturday night sometimes, and I want to let you know we are going to be changing locations for a few weeks in the spring, and we're going to release those details soon, but we can't get this theater for about five weeks. And some people say it will be the death of our church, saying people won't follow you a couple exits down the highway. And I say, listen, convenience and comfort will not keep the light on. If we won't drive two exits, how do we expect people to come through this door? I know this church is not convenient. We don't have a building yet. Maybe God will bless us with that. Maybe we'll work hard and we'll, we'll do our part and give and God will help us and that may come. But I want to let you know, we know this church is not comfortable. Some are like, these seats are pretty comfortable. The seats are comfortable, but nothing else is. We know how much work it takes to make this excellent. See, even people said to me the other day, you know, what about people that come and don't come back? I said, I think some people find it uncomfortable the amount of work it takes to pull this off. We, they drink their coffee, and we want you to drink coffee, and it's free, and it's awesome. But at some point, you look around and go, wait a minute. That wasn't here. That's not a part of the school. That takes a lot. People start tearing things down, and people are moving and shaking and shaking all four cheeks and a couple of chins, and they're moving some stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, I don't know if I can drink my coffee and feel comfortable seeing all this work. You got little kids pushing stuff and teenagers moving stuff and people sacrificing. And we know that this church is not comfortable or convenient. And that's by design. Because in my life, usually the light dims the second I get comfortable and want convenience. This father would not change his position. I'm sure he had comfortable chairs in his house. I don't know if he had a hot tub or if he had a vacation spot or a big, a, a big TV or if he had internet or Netflix. I don't know what he had. But I knew there had to be something more comfortable than leaning next to the gate watching the dusty road. Not just for a day, not just for a week, but for a long time. He fought for the position in his life. Second thing we have to fight to keep your light on today is priorities. The priority of constantly valuing others over ourselves. I think it's interesting in scripture in verse 22 of our text today. The father's talking, and he says this. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring out the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet. We must kill the calf, for we've been fattened, and we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, but now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found so let the party begin. Isn't it interesting? The priority of the father was always on the son. He's back. we got to feed him. We need to make him feel welcome. He was dead, but now he's alive. We need to have a party for him. But the brother, the older brother, who I see myself in, 
have been faithful. I haven't walked away. I didn't, I didn't uh, drink, smoke, or chew or hang with those that do. Come on, somebody. I didn't have a rebellious years. and I was faithful. But wait, whoa, 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 what about me? I've been around here for a long time. I've been, been doing this for a long time. I've been faithful. The brother steps in. What's the difference here about who he's putting as a priority? We pick it up in verse 29, 28. It says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out to him and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've stayed for you. I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast. Yet this son of yours comes back squandering. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Isn't there an interesting there? The father was all about the son. The brother was all about himself. My friend, I want to remind you, if we're going to keep the light on as a church, if we're going to be able to be a place that people go, hey, when, we, when they walk in, they know that we've been waiting for them, that we have, won't rest till they get here, we need to always put others ahead of ourselves. I think it's interesting in this social media generation, social media. Isn't it interesting, the selfie generation? The older I get, the less selfies I take. Come on. That's why there's blurring and filters. Come on, help a brother out. Blur it, phase it, haze it, filter it, darken it, turn it the other way, whatever I got to do. Social media. I've had conversations, and whether it comes up, it's applied. Sometimes people bring up, hey, why wasn't I invited to that thing you were at? Hey, I noticed you were hanging out with so-and-so, but I feel left out. And we look at social media at what we're missing instead of asking God who we should be reaching. Something happens with the priorities that it's always, I don't feel welcome. I don't like sitting near the front, so when we shake hands, I'm going to move back six rows. You know who I'm talking about. I, I, I'm less concerned about making room for those coming in late as where I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm more concerned about my solo on the worship team or how good my message is, is relayed on a podcast. And the second it becomes more about me, it threatens to put the light out. The father thought to keep the priority on the son who he believed would come. And the brother was consumed with his own life. You've done me wrong. I don't have enough. I'm being uh, unfairly treated. I want more. He's already squandered it. What about mine? My friends, I've realized nothing dims my life more than when I'm being selfish. I start saying things like they don't understand the struggle. I start having these head Am I the only one that talks to himself? Me and Mike Pence, am I the only one that prays? I don't know, but... Am I the only one that sometimes has arguments in my head? Well, they don't understand the sacrifice. People come to me, hey, I, I, I don't understand this. I'm tired. I'm complaining about this. Or maybe my kids, maybe they're complaining about something. And I'm like, you don't, in my mind, I start going, but you don't understand what I've done. The sacrifice me and your mother have made. They don't understand what it takes to pull this off. And the second I start internalizing my priorities, my light starts to dim. And the people God's bringing to my life, I miss because my light goes out. Because instead of being a beacon to others, I start thinking, what about my life? My friends, as a church, if we're going to keep the light on, we've got to prioritize others. This church will always prioritize others. It's not built for the comfort of the few, but it's built for the salvation of the many. That's what we're going to fight to keep the light on in this place. I want to remind you today. We have to fight to keep the light on. I think so many times the traps of social media is we see what we're missing out on. Instead of focusing on who should be reaching out to, the brother was focused on what he was missing. The father was obsessed with who was missing. The brother was focused on what he was missing. The father was obsessed with who was missing. 
There's a world of difference in that attitude. We have to fight for the priority to keep the light on going, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. You get this if you're a parent. People play, kids want to be parents and they play house. A great friend of mine, Anthony, on our team, there's this great website in ministry called I Am Second, and the whole premise is God is first and I am second. And there's these celebrities and athletes, and they came to know Jesus, and they realized they used to be first in their life. It was about their fame and their career. When they met Jesus, they became second because he is first. Anthony says, I'm not even second. I'm like sixth in my house. It goes Jesus and my wife and my kids and me. Can I encourage you today? Can we fight for a priority as families, as teenagers? as a church, to prioritize others over ourselves. The third one today is possessions. There is position, there is priorities, and there is possessions. Some would say the father was wasteful with his money. He was unwise. He gave the son too much, too early, and then when he came back in a mess, he gave him more. To leave the light on, you have to choose people over possessions. I'm going to say that again. To lead the light on as a church, we must choose people over possessions. Hey, people ask me, and I get your heart, so when do you think you guys are going to get a building? I'm like, no time soon. Why? Because we're spending all our money on coffee in the lobby. <laughs> and that's intentional. But we must choose people over possessions. Listen to me. This only makes sense, this story, leaving the light on, if you see it through a father's eyes, not an accountant's eyes. Thank God for the accountants in our team that help us keep things in order. But you can't see this story, and you can't keep your light on if you see it through checks and balances and Excel spreadsheets. You've got to see it through the heart of someone loving someone far from God. This doesn't work with checks. It doesn't balance. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Because you always have to value people over possessions. A couple weeks ago, the Super Bowl. Go Eagles. <laughs> the Super Bowl. I don't even like the Eagles. <laughs> we had a Super Bowl party. One of our team had an idea, and then people got on board. I'm like, let's do it. We threw money at it and time and resources and energy. It was awesome. It was so cool. Really cool. A couple weeks ago, we had a Super Bowl party, and it was awesome. It was incredible. People are like, well, it's going to cost us probably about a thousand bucks. I'm like, maybe. A little, little more, thank you, the accountant in the room. All right. But it was really cool. I had fun. I didn't have to do anything except show up and smile and deal with the Patriots, but I had fun. But as the night started, a man walked in the room that I've seen in this church. He's not here today. A man I know a little bit about his life, I don't know much, but he walked in and he had a dessert. And on the dessert, he was heckling me with the icing and he was mocking the eagles and celebrating the page on this cake he had made or bought. Or... But he was walking around the Super Bowl party trying to find me so he could heckle me. I'm like, I like this guy. He walked up to me and said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I was like, hey, so-and-so. He's like, this is how we introduce himself. He said, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm a lost cause. In the middle of streamers and Super Bowl and Justin Timberlake doing his thing, this man walks up to me and how he introduced himself was by the way people see him and the place he found himself in. He said, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm, I'm a lost cause. And I said, hey, I'm a lost cause too. He's like, oh, I've been coming to this church for a little bit now, I enjoy your preaching. I'm like, oh good, you're the one, okay, good. <laughs> nice to meet you. He's like, I've been coming for a bit and I've really enjoyed 
the services. Here's a cake I made. Go Patriots. And he walked away. And something in my heart said, that's why we do this. My friends, we will change the language. And some days it's a service with amazing musicians that sacrifice and serve. And some days it'll be a party or a bouncy castle or football. It doesn't matter how we do it because the how doesn't matter. The why drives us. We will fight to keep a light on. And some of your kids won't come to a service, but they'll come to a Super Bowl party. Some of your kids are only here today to go to a lunch meet with the youth afterwards and hang out. And we're okay with that. Because we will fight to keep the light on. This father was sitting there. The story goes, he fought for his position, his priorities, and his possessions. He said, no, no, no. Come on, leave the wall. Leave the gate. Come on, go back. You've got other things to do. I'm not leaving. Why? Because he loved his son. Who do you love today that's not here? It's not doing well. Got a face in your mind? Got a face in your heart when you go to bed at night that they're on your mind? I got some. And it says, one day, the son came to his senses. We pray for people to come to their senses. And when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go home. I'm not sure if I'm going to be welcome. He's like, maybe I can be a servant. See, the older brother, the older brother wanted to make it hard. I think it's interesting, the older brother wanted to make it easier for the guy to get out of the hole than it was to get into the house. Sometimes as churches, we make it harder to get into the house than out of the hole they were in. Sometimes when they walk through this door, they're full of mud and the amount of effort, and some of you are here today, to come to church, you're like, I don't know what they're going to be wearing. I don't know what they're going to be saying. Am I going to say the wrong thing? Do I, like, I don't, I don't fit, the, I'm uncomfortable. What does it look like? They creep us out on, they creep us on social media trying to get some kind of feeling because it takes a lot to walk into a church. If you walked in here today, within the last few weeks or today, I'm so proud of you. Courage. And sometimes they, they drag themselves out of their bed and out of the regret of being in the club the night before or a relationship or an addiction or just a state of life. And sometimes, as much effort as that took, they come to the door and they can't get into the house. The getting of the hole was one thing, but getting to the house is more difficult. And the brother made it more difficult to get into the house than out of the hole. His father was watching, and all of a sudden it says from a long way off, he saw this son. I'm a dad of a 13-year-old. I'm so proud of my boy. My daughter's in a gymnastics competition today, killing it. I'm so proud of her. And the sun came over the horizon. And while he was a long way off, the father recognized him. Why? Because I'm sure the father had seen a lot of people come over that horizon, and he stood up, made sure the light was on, and looked through the fog and through the darkness and go, no, no, that's, that's, that's the mailman. I'm sure many times he'd be sitting there and all of a sudden, wait, 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 wait. And he'd go, oh, that's the neighbor's kid coming home from college. I don't know how long and how many times that happened. The Bible doesn't say, but you can imagine how many times a figure appeared on the horizon. This man would jump to his feet. And then one day he sees this head, just the shoulders and the head of this young man. And something inside of him leaped and he thought he was dreaming. No, no, I, I know, I know that, that head. Because that, when that boy was three and he had that fever for three days, I'm the one that patted him down with a wet face cloth and nursed him back to health. I'll never forget the, the shape of that boy's head. I'll know it anywhere. And tears, warm tears filled his eyes. When he got closer, he saw the walk. He goes, I know that walk. 
I taught him to walk. I put his fingers in my hands and we walked through these gates. And I don't know that walk anywhere. That's my boy and he started to run. I think it's interesting why he was still a long way off. Sometimes we make people go through hoops and steps and probation before we say, okay, you're good. You're good, you can get on a stage and bring out a podium or take Mike's notes away very early, you know. <laughs> All right, you're good, okay, you can be in the parking lot and help us load six months, a year, when we know you, done a background check, you know, we know. We believe in safety for our kids and all that. I'm talking about value on a person. And it says he ran to this boy. And he said, there's a place for you. We haven't rested. And in that moment, that boy who expected to have to go through probation realized the light was on. When I pull my driveway and see that light on, I know I have a Stunning, beautiful, strong wife, loving wife waiting for me and two adorable children, talented, good-looking, God-purposed children asleep in their beds. And they went to bed knowing dad's coming home. Listen, my friends, we're building this church for people that aren't here yet. And that might mean you can't sit where you want to sit. Because if they walk in and there's no room, they're going to leave. And I want to know the light was on. That might mean it's dark in here because we want people to have a private moment with God. And that means it's darker than you liked. We're trying to leave the light on. That might mean we might never have a building. We might need to move locations every three months. But I'm okay with that if it leaves the light on. Is he preaching salvation again? Yes, I am. Why? Because you know what? If you want deeper things, usually that means people want to be confused. They want to leave going, I don't understand what happened. That was very deep. Look at me. This is not a deep preacher. Everybody said, amen. I'm preaching for the people that aren't here yet. I love you, but I'm not preaching for you. Someday, Mike Miller and his mess of religion and anger are going to walk through the door, and I want him to know the light's on. And a budget's not going to shut it off, and my preference is going to shut off, and an attitude is not going to shut it off, and nothing's going to shut this light off. They'll walk in, and we've been waiting for you. All this is for you. That's why we have a worship team. Not to show off their skills. It's not about me. That's why there's other preachers and we're training more. Why? It's not about me. We're going to leave the light on. As we close today, and I've gone too long. All over this place, you need to close your eyes for a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture someone that's in a mud pit today. That might be your spouse who think you're part of a cult for coming here or think, I don't want anything to do with church. It might be a son or a daughter or a loved one or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a coworker or someone that you just know, I don't know what their pig pen, what their mud is today. It might be an addiction. It might just be anger. It might just be lost. Put a face on it today. Will you leave your light on? That's why I give in the offering. That's why I set up that's why our team sacrifices so much. That's why our worship team is so excellent, is they get it. Picture that face today. Now picture them pulling into this parking lot, nervous. Maybe they smell like the club they were in last night. Maybe they just rolled out of bed and left the person that's dragging them down and they, they got enough courage to come and they pull in the parking lot and they see the flag. Can you picture it? Close your eyes, picture the blue flag. They pull in and they see one of our teams smiling 
Walking them in, they're nervous, they don't know what to expect. They walk in, they smell coffee. That costs us a lot of money every week. And all of a sudden, their defenses start to drop and they see people on the door not standing there because they have to because they don't know who's walking through the door, but they're leaving the light on. That's why they shake your hand. And we have people that have told our guest team to F off. Last week, my mother was on the door and someone said, F off. And I was like, we need more people like that in church. Because somewhere they're lost. I pulled my mom aside and said, Mom, I'm sorry that happened, but I'm really excited. Because it means the right people are coming here. Picture them walking in this room and they're expecting something and they walk in going, this is actually pretty cool. It's pretty dark. I can hide in my shame and my mess and my pain as I try to figure this out. If I don't know how to lift my hands or sing the songs, no one's going to put a spotlight on me. I can hide in here a little bit. And then picture them experiencing what you experience. People hugging and shaking hands and smiling. Just picture that person in your life. We've got to leave the light on. So we can invite our people to come home. If you're in the sound of my voice today, maybe you're like, Mike, I'm not home. I showed up today of all days. I've been coming for a few weeks, so this is my first Sunday, and I am lost. I'm far from God. I don't know God. I'm far from God. I want to come home. I want to let you know we've been waiting for you. We've been spending money and making plans and building doors with lights, and we've been practicing songs, waiting for you to come in and let you know that we've been waiting for you. We're not going to rest until you feel like you belong. We're going to have next steps, and we're going to have coffee. We're going to have bouncy castles some weeks so that you feel like maybe you belong here. If you say, Mike, that's me. I'm far from God. I don't know God. I, I, my life is a mess. I'm in a, I'm in a mess right now. On the count of three, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and the light's pretty dark, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. If that's you, I just want to pray for you today. One, it's not everybody, but today I want to encourage you. Maybe you've walked into places, relationships, and the light went out because you were too far gone. Maybe, maybe a job didn't respect you enough, and they shut the light out on your promotion. Maybe even family members and friends walked away with you. I want to let you know today, God has the light on. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Come follow me, you'll find your way home. And I'm on the count of three, when I say three, if you say, I want to know Jesus, I want to come home, I want God to come into my life and take me out of my mess, I want you to put your hand up. One, two, three, if that's you, with every head bowed, if that's you, put your hand up real high over this place. I'm going to look one more time. One more time. If that's you, slide it up real quick so I can see it and look right back down. Thank you. Put your hand down. Can we stand to our feet today? We're going to close with this today. I've gone too long. We're going to close with this. And then we're going to go have really good coffee. You're going to pick up your kids. We're going to drive through the blizzard that's heading towards Moncton as we speak, in Jesus' name. And we're going to leave the light on at every cubicle we work at, at every table in our schools. Every time we gather. But what about my position? No, it's not about us. How much did that cost? It's not about that. We're going to leave the light on and fill this place, not with disgruntled people that want to be comfortable, but people covered in mud and shame that are looking for a light in the darkness and say, the house is open. Come on in. Father, right now I pray for those that lifted their hands. I thank you for the young lady who lifted her hand today. I don't know her story or her life, but God, I know that she is valued. And today we got through snow and we loaded trucks and poured coffee for her. So Father, I pray today you would rush in and she would feel 
love and comfort and feel home today. Would you rush in right now, Father, right now, forgive her of her choices or mistakes or the pain that was done to her and today a fresh start. And Jesus, you would lead her. You would be close to her and you would be, be hers. Father, I pray for the rest of us today on this snowy day in Halifax. May we continue to say, Father, for this church and for our families, we will leave the light on in every choice we make. Father, thank you for what you're doing in Nova Church. Thank you for the hundreds that are coming. And when they pull in the parking lot, the light will be on because of our sacrifice and our passion and our position. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, everybody said, we love you so much. We'll see you at football. We'll see you at skating. We'll see you at church. And we'll see you at the coffee bar. We love you and have a great week.